in January, we'll be kicking off a, a new series starting January 7-8 called Clean Slate. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be starting off in, in a book called The Letter of Paul to the Ephesians. You might just know it as Ephesians. It's to, uh, a letter that, that we're going to work through together. And what we have for you is uh, an Ephesians journal. And, and this is um, at, at today on all of our campuses. There's somewhere on all of our campuses where they are handing these out to you. They're free. Uh, the cost is put your name in it because it would be very disheartening to just find a bunch of them laying around. But put your name in it, and, and that's how much it's going to cost you. Today, uh, here on Harrison Lane, you're going to go to uh, Get Connected. If you go to Get Connected, we have one of these for you today. And as we've worked our way through Revelation, we said, hey, this is a book that, that we're going to study scene by scene because as a follower of Christ, we really need to understand the big picture of the revelation of Jesus. And so we've encouraged you to to understand that book from the big picture. For the book of Ephesians, we, we're going to encourage you to become Ephesians ninjas. Why? Because if there's any book, I believe this, okay, the, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, we should know inside and out. Some of you are like, what? Yes, the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis I become more adamant than I was back when we did Genesis. You should know that inside and out because the rest of God's story depends on the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. You should know those. And then you should know this letter because it's all about our identity and then putting it into motion. And so we're going to study this letter together over, over a 12-week time frame, actually 14 weeks, but 12-week time frame going into Easter. And we're going to ask that we would all participate together. And so our encouragement to you is free journal. Everybody loves free stuff, right? Free journal. Let's go. Let's do it. Hey, uh, where we're going to be is in the very end of this letter called The Revelation of Jesus. And as we've taken a look over the past couple weeks at chapters 21 and 22 at the end of this book, uh, where we're going to be is talking about the forever heaven. And in this series, we've talked about the, the fact that there's a, there's a current heaven, and that is not what we're talking about in this series. And in fact, if you want to know more, if I'm going to confuse you today, I want to encourage you, you have to go back and watch this series from the beginning, because there's going to maybe be some stuff that's a little bit confusing if this is your first time coming in the room, and you're going, what are you talking about? The current heaven isn't going to last forever, and the answer is... No, I should have heard a big no right there. <laughs> the current heaven is not lasting forever because the forever heaven is, we've learned in this series, a resurrected earth. There's going to be a new heaven and new earth that that's where we will spend forever as resurrected people with a resurrected Jesus on a resurrected earth. And so that's what we're talking about in this series. And so as we're talking about heaven, as we're talking about forever, we're not talking about the day you die. We're looking longer than that. We have a vision further out than that. The scriptures point us to something that's further downrange than simply the day you die. So live life and then you die. No, that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about living for the day that we become a resurrected people, that we live as people with Jesus and each other forever, lives of significance, of meaning, lives of purpose, Randy Alcorn writes about this this way in his book uh, called Heaven. Christmas is coming. We live our lives between the first Christmas and the second. We walk on disputed turf between Eden and the new earth, not that far from either. 
The dispute will soon be settled. Christ will reign forever over the universe and we will reign with him. As we've been talking about the next Christmas, it's, we've been using that phrase to talk about what we could call the second advent. The, the word advent just means the coming. It just means the, the coming of Christ. And so there was the first advent, which was the birth of Jesus. And then there's the second advent, which is the return of Jesus. And advent means that we celebrate both. And so this Christmas, as we've looked not only like to the, the birth of Jesus, we've really been like, yes, we should celebrate that, but that's only half of the story. When it comes to Christmas, if we're just celebrating the birth of Jesus without looking to the soon return of Jesus, we're only celebrating half of the good news. If the birth of Jesus isn't assured of a coming soon return of Jesus, then the birth of Jesus isn't even good news at all. It's only because Jesus is going to return that we can actually be excited that Jesus was born. And so we need to hold those two things in tension. As we've seen over the last few months, uh, this, this is the theme that, that arises in Revelation over and over again. It's, it's that we would keep going, that we would persevere, that we would be a people that keep running the race that lies before us. And that's what we're going to see this weekend, that the next Christmas motivates us to run to Jesus. The next Christmas, as we look not only to the birth of Jesus, but to the soon return of Jesus, it motivates us to run to Jesus. We, we've been talking about a running metaphor. We use that a lot because the Bible uses the running metaphor a lot. And, and as we talk about running to Jesus, um, we're talking about the kind of running that's running a race. And, and that he is not just out there in the distance somewhere, but, but he's actually meeting us in the midst of our running to him. Now, some of you are like, okay, why the running metaphor? Why? Just leave it alone already. And the reason is, is because this, this book, right, the scriptures were written in a day and time when the NFL did not exist. SEC football was not a thing. And so and if, 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 if the New Testament was written today, I, I believe that it would be, um, the metaphor would be football. That would be the metaphor. And I'm not talking about you, you World Cup football people. I'm not talking about soccer. I'm talking about real football, American football, right? Not really. I'm just kidding. No, what would be the metaphor? It'd be about running a race. Why? Because it's an incredible metaphor. You've heard us talk about, you hear Tim Bubar talking about running because Tim Bubar is a real runner. He's a real runner. For those of us who are like fake runners, we can really identify. When he talked about that when you get ready to run and, and you put on your shoes and you go out there and you hit the trail and you're in that first mile that you always think about quitting, I'm one, I'm one of these people who can totally relate. In fact, there's some days that, that I get about a half a block down my alley and I'm like, nope, not happening today. I just stop, turn around, walk back up. I'm like, this does not feel good. This is going to hurt too much. I'm not doing this today. Guess what? When it comes to life, we don't have that opportunity. We don't get to say, I'm not going to run. I'm not going to be in that race. Now, some of us can, can, can whine and mope and, and cry and whine about it, but we're still in the race. The author of Hebrews writes about it this, this way in Hebrews chapter 12. 
as he's gone through before talking about this, this, all these heroes of the faith, all these people who've been devoted to, to God's purposes in this world, he writes, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may, know, may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And those of us who use this as we teach the Bible, we usually stop right here. We stop at verse 3, and we're like, yeah, you can do it. You can do it. Um, nobody better for you travel ball parents, right? Yeah, you can do it. But he goes on to say, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And I want to encourage you, go read the rest of what he writes, because he says, Get some grit in your world. We often talk about like, hey, you can't do it. You need the power of the Spirit at work in you, and, and, and that's true, okay? That's true. But, but the author of Hebrews says, dig deep. Dig deep. Sorry, ladies, to use the phrase, man up. You know, you Yellowstone fans, cowboy up. Come on, let's go. Dig deep. That's what he says. I can't wait to meet whoever this is who wrote this letter. It might be like, man, you were harsh. He'll be like, it was the Holy Spirit in me, inspiring me to tell you to dig deep, keep running. And that's the theme that emerges in Revelation. Over and over and over and over again, it's reminding us to persevere, to persevere, to persevere, to keep running. Why? Jesus is coming back. The motivation throughout that whole book is there's going to be a final day. There will come a day when Jesus is going to return, and that's the day we're supposed to live for. And so as we read the New Testament, as we study the New Testament, as we take a look there, every time that they're talking about the hope that we have, they're not talking about the day that you die and you don't have to suffer in this world anymore. That is not the day they're talking about. They are talking about the hope that we have in the return of Christ and the future resurrection that lies in the future. That's the hope we have. It's way beyond what happens when we leave this body. It's a day when we get a new one. And that's a day that we're all going to experience together. All of those who trusted God before Jesus, they're going to be resurrected through the power of God on the same day that we get resurrected by the power of God. Why? Because we believe God. And we, we say, like, he's not lying. The only way to life is Jesus. And the next Christmas motivates us to run to Jesus. We pick up where we left off last week in Revelation chapter 22. In verse 7, it says, And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. 
bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. As followers of Jesus, here's something that we know is true, but this, this text reminds us that, that Jesus' story is to be told. Jesus' story is to be told. As we see here, this, this messenger that comes to John, he says, do not seal this one up. Let, let this one go. This, it's in contrast to Daniel being told to hold on to his prophecy. And here, uh, John is told, nope, this one, it's time. The, the, the return of Jesus is coming soon. Now, what does soon mean? Because it's been like almost 2,000 years, and so does soon mean like soon? And we're supposed to live like soon means soon. Now, some of you are like, well, I've studied the Bible, and I understand that there's lots of things that have to take place before the return of Christ can happen, so, so you don't believe in what might be called an imminent return of Christ because there's certain events that have to take place in order for you to understand when Jesus is going to come back or can Jesus come back, and we've studied, as we've studied in Revelation, we're like, okay, we understand certain things that, that are a bit cloudy, we might say that. They're, they're a little bit hazy. And the timing of everything is one of those things that's hazy. And the things that are hazy, we hold on to loosely. We hold on with open hands. And so even if we don't believe that, that the imminent return of Christ might happen in the next two minutes, it seems like the book of Revelation says we're supposed to live like that's true. It, the time is now. The time is coming that, that Jesus is going to return. Jesus wants us to know that we know. He, he wants to be clear when he says, behold, I am coming soon. In Matthew's gospel, as, as Jesus delivers this incredible teaching on uh, what's coming, it talks about the great tribulation, what's, what's going to happen at, at the end of Matthew's gospel. He then uses three parables to point to the nature of how we're supposed to live in light of his coming return, and it's to live ready like he is coming back. And part of that is telling his story. And so as we come to Christmas, um, it's, it's a natural thing to talk about the birth of Jesus during Christmas. That's, that's a natural thing. Even people who don't, who don't believe in Jesus, it's still the, the birth of Jesus is the, the genesis. It's the origin of Christmas. So at a minimum, at a minimum, as we get together with other people, as we gather with family, you can say, well, what does Christmas mean to you? And you can discover where people are. As you think about the supernatural birth of Jesus, what do you think about that? The fact that he was, he was born of a virgin, do you think that's true? I mean, there's a, there's a starting point that makes sense. After all, it's Christmas. Totally makes sense. But talking about the supernatural return of Jesus as he returns as a triumphant king who's going to then resurrect people to new life and resurrected earth that's going to be remade and renewed and restored, that's a little bit, that's a little bit tricky. Because people are going to go, I've never heard that before. Why have I never heard that before? You may have never heard that before. And you wonder why. Why has nobody ever told me that the future for those who are in Christ is to live forever as resurrected people on a resurrected earth? And my answer to that question is, I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know from the time that you were this tall that you learned the song that Jesus loves you, that, that you're like, Jesus loves me, this I know, that you didn't also learn that someday for all of those who are in Christ, we're going to spend forever as real people on a real earth with a real Jesus. That's, that's something that we should know. Why? Because it's the thing that the New Testament authors all point us towards, and it's the thing that it appears like they're all living for, and yet we kind of just want to deny that reality because we don't like talking about death. We don't like talking about the, the, the end of life on the present earth because it's uncomfortable for us. And so this week, I was reminded, we were in sermon meeting, we are talking about, sometimes you have to prepare to have conversations. If you just go through life never thinking about a conversation, and it shows up and the opportunity presents itself, all of a sudden you'll be like, oh, I wish I'd prepared. Now, sometimes things just happen naturally. Like, you can just talk about Christmas because it's about the birth of Jesus. That's part of the story, and that's a beginning place. But how do I prepare to talk about that other half of the story, which is the return of Christ. And I was reminded of, of Grief Share. That's an incredible ministry that's, that's all about um, encouraging people, coming alongside of people who've lost people that they love, who, who are going through the grief journey. And in that, um, one of the, the really cool things about it is it teaches you how to prepare to have conversations. Because you're going to encounter people that aren't going to know what, what to say. How, how do I talk to you about the person that you loved who's no longer with you here on this earth? How do I possibly talk to you about that? And so what we want to do is we want to avoid that conversation. We don't want to talk about it because we don't want to make them uncomfortable. When in reality, we really don't want to make us uncomfortable, but that's for another day. And so in that, in that process, as, as you go through that a group together, you learn how to prepare to have conversations. How do I have conversations around holiday time? How do I have conversations with people who, who are just uncomfortable to be around me? And, and I was reminded the same is true about this conversation. The same is true about preparing to have a conversation about the, the coming return of Jesus. If it's not something that, that we think about, if it's not something we think about, okay, how would I start that conversation? The conversation isn't going to happen. And we'll just leave it at, so what do you think, what do you think the whole meaning of Christmas is? And they'll give an answer and be like, oh, I didn't think of that second question. All right, great. Let's open presents. So as we think about Jesus's story being told, it's something that we have to prepare to tell. And, and it's connected here to, to this theme that goes on throughout this book. And it's talking about what it looks like to be a people who persevere in, in life today in telling Jesus's story. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. In the midst of, of a book that can really have some bizarre imagery that's really foreign to us and how we understand things, Jesus wants us to know that we know that we know that we know that we have hope. He wants us to know it. 
It's repeated over and over and over again. Why is the same story being told in three different ways as it talks about the judgment of God and and the return of Christ? Why do we see over and over and over again for those who've put their trust in Christ in this life, those who've placed their trust in Jesus for new life today will spend forever with him? Why is that repeated over and over? Jesus wants us to know that we know. And when it comes to Christmas, we're reminded for those who have new life in Christ, we have hope. We have hope. Does that mean that that today everything's going to turn out okay? No. That's not the hope we have. Does it mean that that tomorrow everything's going to be bright and cheery and woo, it's going to be rainbows and unicorns? No. That's not our hope. In fact, if we are putting our hope in any kind of temporary circumstance, you are guaranteed to be disappointed. You are absolutely guaranteed disappointment if your hope is in the circumstances that happen in this life. And we're reminded over and over again, what's our hope? Jesus is coming back. What's our hope? Jesus is coming back. What's our hope? Jesus is coming back. But that, the fact that those who are in Christ have hope, there's, a, there's an implication to that. And that means for those who haven't placed their trust in Jesus, they are hopeless. Last Christmas, we talked about that Christmas is only worth celebrating if you know Jesus. That seems a really harsh truth, but if you don't know Jesus, there's nothing to celebrate at Christmas. Because when he returns and he judges the, the world For those who haven't placed their trust in him, the fact that that Jesus was born and he's going to soon return, that's a motivation to say, examine your life. What's going on in your world? Have you placed your hope and trust in Jesus? And if not, turn to him. Professor Grant Osborne writes this. I can't say it better, so I'm going to read it. That the moral defilement of the world will not go away until Christ comes with the rod of iron and destroys evil in this world. John and the other Christian leaders can do little to stem the tide of evil. Their task is not to act as moral policemen, but to proclaim the prophecies and leave the rest to God and the Lamb. In addition, they must encourage the righteous and the holy to continue in their good deeds and faithful living for Christ. They are to be light shining in darkness and expose the evil deeds of darkness. How? By shining light into them. By contrasting their good deeds with the corrupt deeds of the world around them. This is our story. This is our story. Now, verse 14, it actually brings the final of seven blessed sayings. And remember, seven is a really significant number throughout all scripture, but especially here in the book of Revelation, really it's, I don't even say especially, it's a significant number in all of scripture. And in that, in the final of these sayings, that that what we're reminded of is who are the blessed ones. And so I want to remind you uh, throughout this letter who the blessed ones are. In chapter 1, we saw that the blessed ones are the ones who read and the ones who hear the prophecy of this book. In chapter 14, we see that the martyrs are the blessed ones. In chapter 16, we see those who live ready. 
for the return of Christ, that they're the blessed ones. In chapter 19, we see that those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb, that they're the ones who are blessed. In chapter 20, those who are raised to reign with Christ, they are the blessed ones. In chapter 22, verse 7, we saw that, that the one who keeps the word of this book, that those are blessed. And here, it's, it's who? It's, it's the people who wash their robes. In chapter 7, verse 14, it says that, that they washed their robes and made them white. How? In the blood of the Lamb. For those who've taken their robes and washed them in the blood of the Lamb. That's, that's some pretty freaky imagery. Like, like, what? So you have a white robe and you wash it in blood. How does that become clean? And once again, symbols are meant to be symbolic. And in this case, what does that represent? The only way to purity is through the blood of the lamb. That's it. The only way that, that you can get rid of the filth of this world, the grime in your life, the corruption in your heart, the distortion of your mind, the only way that you can experience purity is through the blood of the lamb. And because of that, those who have embraced the truth of the gospel over and over and over again, as we've seen in Revelation, that they're the ones who experience the blessing of God. Now, remember that we've talked really through this whole year, back through Genesis, what it means to experience the blessing of God. It means that we experience peace with God, but more than just peace, how we think of it, we have to say we experience the fullness of God's presence. We experience peace. We experience prosperity. We experience wholeness, protection. We experience relationship with the God of the universe on a personal level. We experience the blessing of God. How do we experience that? By embracing the truth that Jesus is the only way to life. Now, those who belong to Jesus, what do they get? They get access to the tree of life. And as we saw last week and the week before, as, as we look at this imagery through 21 and 22, this imagery of, of a resurrected earth, we saw that there was a city that descended and that city really becomes representative of what was the Holy of Holies and that the temple is no more, that God's presence is with humanity forever and ever and then in that city, we saw last week that there was a river and there was the tree of life. And it takes us back to Eden and the garden of Eden in particular. And in the garden where there was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we think back and go, okay, in the new heaven, there's going to be no reason for there to be a tree that, that we're barred from. Why? We've already experienced that tree. We've already experienced the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and it's driven us to Jesus to say, I can never be good on my own. And so as we look to the future, there's coming day where we're going to live forever dependent on God, like Tim talked about last week. And for some of you, that may have stretched your mind. Be like, wow, I never thought that what's going to happen in the future is I'm going to live forever dependent on God because we've really not thought about it, but much of the, the, the things that we've heard about heaven made it sound like we kind of become God. Like somehow we show up and all of a sudden we know everything. Every question of the universe is answered. We become all-knowing. And I'm sorry to disappoint you. If that sounded really cool, that isn't how it's going to work. You don't become God. You stay you. 
You stay a person. You stay human. And you live dependent on God. Tim also talked how we all, make a, like, we all like to make our own little personal view of heaven. Hey, in heaven, I, I hope, he talked about how he hopes he has a, a mailbox and he gets Chipotle burritos at will. Wow, that's awesome. But instead, what's going to happen is we will be transformed in the things that God has for us. All of a sudden, it's going to be amazing. And those are the things that we're going to realize are life-giving. And so it's like, wow, all these sugar cookies are really bad for me. And they make me feel really terrible. But someday, my body will be perfected. And I'll be able to put as much sugar in as I want. How is that the best solution? Is it not that your body's broken dependence on sugar will be made whole and you'll no longer have that craving that you don't know how to describe, you're just hungry all the time? So, so instead of thinking, okay, all the stuff that I like, that's heaven, going, oh, my mind is going to be transformed. And all the stuff that God likes, all the stuff that Jesus is into, all the stuff that give him pleasure, I'm going to start to be into. I'm going to dig those things. And I'm going to be the person that he made me to be forever in, 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 in the form that he made me to live forever, which is as a person in God's presence forever for all of those who are in Christ. And if that's our story, guess what? All of a sudden, the end of this book gets really, really exciting. The spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The word means truly. Let it happen. Yeah. If, if this is our story and we come to the end of this book, we should be going, yeah. The next Christmas can't get here soon enough. And you're all saying, yeah, but I got some stuff. I got some stuff I want to do here on this earth. If we really understand our future as a resurrected people, there's nothing, there's nothing that you have going on today that's worth waiting for. Nothing. You're like, yeah, but I, I got a wedding coming up and I want, I want to see my child get married. Or, hey, I, I really would like to meet my grandchildren. I'm telling you, there's nothing that you have on the horizon on this earth that's going to compare to living on a resurrected earth with a resurrected Jesus with resurrected people. And it's things that we're supposed to think about. It's things that we're supposed to meditate upon. And so does it mean that we're supposed to um, avoid what's going on today? No. As we have one eye, and I know you can't do this in reality. If you can do this as a trick, as a party trick, that would be really cool to see. Keeping one eye on today and the other eye on forever. For those of you who have the ability to split your eyes, that's awesome. I'm not sure I want to see it. It might creep me out. But our story is about living in the moment while longing for the next Christmas. 
This is the pattern as we talk about the hope that we have as followers of Christ, of being in Jesus' presence forever. We're talking about the resurrected Jesus on a resurrected earth as resurrected people. And that's where we live. We live in the tension between the birth of Jesus and the soon return of Jesus. And, And our story is to live in the midst of that tension. And this has been going on for a really long time. The author of Hebrews, before he, he, or it could be a she, I guess, wrote that book in chapter 12, back in verse 11, gives a reason why. Why did these heroes of the faith, why were they able to be so faithful? But as it is written, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. They knew that things on this earth were temporary, that they would fade away. And they said, this is not what I'm living for. I'm living today with one eye on today and one eye towards that day when Christ returns. And they didn't even know how to say it. They just believed God. When you run, when you come to a hill, you have to have prepared for it. Now, I used to be a a cyclist. I used to ride bicycles. And um, when I moved here to East Tennessee, um, some of you are like, oh, I hate you guys. Um, When I moved here to East Tennessee, I had never lived anywhere where there were hills, like real hills. They were all just like, I've come to know them as like mini hills. But when you become a bicycle rider in East Tennessee, you're like, oh, okay, I'm either going to learn to ride my bicycle on hills or I'm not going to ride. And when I moved here, um, e-bikes weren't a thing. So there was no way for me other than just say, you know what? I have to learn. I have to embrace it. What's it look like for me to ride my bike up a hill? The same is true for runners. If, if there's nowhere, I call, I call where we live, like the best you can do is East Tennessee flat. Any street that you go down, the best you can do is East Tennessee flat, which means for a lot of places that I lived, it's called hilly. And so you have to learn, how do I run on hills? And for those of you who are runners, you're like, yep, that requires preparation. It requires thought. It requires that I fix my eyes at the top of the hill. Because if I just look down towards the next step, I, I, I suffer other than keeping my eyes on the place where I'm going. The the eye on the top of the hill is key. I also change my technique a little bit. I may drop my hips, lean into the hill a little bit more, focus on controlling the breathing, because if you don't breathe, you die. And and you're like, okay, the hill has to be conquered. That's where we find ourselves. And what the mental narrative is that's going through our mind as we're running this race matters. For those of you who were in the military, you know, like when you went on group runs, they sang these little songs called Jody's, right? You sing this little song as you're going. It used to drive me crazy when somebody would start this way. There's a pain in my leg. I'm like, oh no, here we go. Here we go. Because I didn't have any pain in my leg, but now I do. Now that you're singing about it, my legs are killing me. And so I know you're going to go through every part of my body because you want to make me suffer as I'm running, thinking about all the pain that I'm going, I'm going through. That is not the narrative that we're encouraged to have. The narrative that we're encouraged to have in our mind is keep running. Why? It's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Now, for some of you, 
as, as you look at, at what's going on in your world, as you think about Christmas, it's not something that you look forward to. Why? Because, because you may be very lonely on Christmas or you may have experienced loss and somebody that you love isn't going to be with you. And so when, when you think of Christmas, it's, it's maybe even with dread. You're like, okay, here we go again, uh, a holiday in my world that's going to be terrible. Or maybe you find yourself in a place where you're like, okay, this Christmas is going to be awesome because you have kids. And I'm telling you, kids, listen, as a parent, one of the, one of the most fun things that we have is to give you gifts, and especially gifts that make you cry. If we can give you a gift that's going to bring you to tears, it's like victory. And we don't mean tears of, I didn't get what I wanted, tears. We're talking about tears of joy. I have a friend. Their, their kids, they're so excited about Christmas because their kids, their heads are going to pop off. They're going to go crazy. They're, they're going to be so surprised. They don't even know what's coming their way. And they're going to be like, wow. So no matter where you are on that spectrum, the encouragement is the same. That we would hold intention the first coming of Jesus in the birth of Jesus and the coming soon return of Jesus as we look and we would live in this place of, of living and holding both intention. And I want to encourage you, uh, Two Rivers, that, that we would never go back to just focusing on the birth of Jesus when it comes to Christmas. I, I can't go back. All right, I, I, as we've worked through the revelation uh, of Jesus, I've become more and more and more excited about celebrating Christmas with y'all. I am. I don't know how to describe it. There's something that's going on. I'm like, oh, I know this is true. I, I know this is true, but it's better. It's better. And so when it comes to Christmas Eve, I, I'm really excited to get to worship with you. I'm so looking forward to this Christmas, and there's nothing special about it in my family. We don't have some special thing going on. We've got to do cool things in the past, and, and I'm looking forward to this Christmas even more. Why? Because I can't wait to express the joy that I have, not just in the birth of a savior, but in the return of a king. And you're like, Dave, you're supposed to do that because you're a pastor. No. Well, yeah, technically, yes, but no. No. It's not like that for us. It's, it's the word of God becoming real and going, no, this is. And so as we, as we go into 2023, as we start talking about hope, you're going to be reminded over and over and over again that the hope that we have, every song that we sing, as it's talking about the resurrected Jesus and the fact that he's coming back, why do we talk about it so much? Because it's the thing we're supposed to live for, not just at Christmas, but 365 days a year. It's the thing that's supposed to motivate us to do what? The hard stuff today. Now, some of you, you're dealing with very real stuff in your world. And, and you're like, Dave, you don't know the mental anguish that I'm in. You don't know what it's like to struggle with depression. You don't know what it's like for, for me to be where I am. And, and I, I, I think that the world would be better off without me, not just that it would be better to be with Jesus. But I want to encourage you that at the end of his book called Heaven, Randy Elkhorn addresses this. And, and he talks about that, that even in that, that wouldn't be the case, that, that part of our dependence upon God is being faithful in each day that he's given us. That if we're going to be dependent on God forever, that, that's learning to be dependent on God today in whatever difficult circumstances we find ourselves in. 
And so even, even in the midst of great pain here on this earth, to, to give up early is to give up on dependence on God. And to, that isn't our calling as followers of Christ. Our calling is to run the race, even the hard legs, even the difficult legs, to keep running, to keep running, to keep running. Even on those days that it feels like we can't, what do we do? Just one foot in front of the other. We just keep running with an eye on this isn't forever. Jesus is coming back. As we take a look at stepping into this week, we have the, the live it out. We have a, a couple questions for you. And, and we want to encourage you, embrace it, step into it. Uh, Tim talked last week about challenging you that he would say, hey, like, step into this. What, what makes you look forward to or dread Christmas? That's one question. As you, as you look into this week, as you prepare for Christmas, so to speak, as you, as you look forward to celebrating next weekend, and then asking Jesus, who needs to hear your story? Ask him that question. Who needs to hear your story? This Christmas, as, as I get to we gather with families and friends, who needs to hear your story and how would you like me to prepare for it? Each week, day this week, the Live It Out prepares you to take the next step. And so I want to encourage you to engage. Like It's not like, hey, uh, the semester's over, finals are done, I'm sliding through, I'll start. You know, hey, you're going to pick up in Ephesians, I'll start again then. No, we want to keep pursuing Jesus. Keep running towards Jesus. And enjoy, enjoy it. All the crazy that's gonna come over the next week as you think about all the stuff that's gonna happen and, and all of that, I wanna encourage you to, to embrace it knowing that the birth of Jesus is half of the story and the soon return of Jesus is the other half of the story and we have a reason for hope and joy and worship. And so that's what we're gonna do. I'm going to invite you in all of our venues to go ahead and stand, and we are going to celebrate the fact that we're a people of hope. Father, we're grateful that you've given us hope in Christ, and as we look to this Christmas, you will remind us of that hope that we have, and as we enter into worship now, we're reminded of just how much we need you. In Jesus' name.